Orthodox Journey. A missionary activity of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, working under the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia, presents The Neo-Martyrs, a podcast series exploring the lives, times and virtues of those saints who witnessed for Christ under Ottoman rule. This is The Neo-Martyrs. the Ottoman Empire in the 14th century, all the way until its collapse in 1923, pressure was placed on non-Muslims to convert to Islam. Many were forced to apostatize from their previous beliefs, while many others made the change voluntarily. The laws and policies in place led to two tiers of subjects in the Ottoman Empire. There were the Muslims, and there were the non-Muslims. As non-Muslims, Christians were branded as dhimmis, and were treated far more harshly than the Muslim subjects. Many scholars have often pointed to the fact that legally, Ottoman rulers tolerated Christians and other religions in their empire. However, the lives of the neo-martyrs show us that this toleration was not necessarily put into practice. The laws of the Ottoman Empire were vastly different from the practices of the Ottoman Empire. The law allowed false arrests and accusations against Christians simply because the accuser was a Muslim and his word had to be believed by the Ottoman court. The judge, also known as the Qadi, had his hands tied. Even if he believed the Christian who was arrested on false premises, he was forced to obey the law which considered the evidence of a Muslim to have greater weight. Additionally, he had to fear the actions of the mob who would accuse the judge of breaking the law and apostasy. The integration of the Quranic law into the legal system of the Ottoman Empire meant that the Qadi also had a religious duty to obey the law. But what did this mean for our neo-martyrs? It meant that when a neo-martyr was brought before an Ottoman court accused of a crime or for apostatizing from Islam, the neo-martyr could expect no mercy. They either had to die or submit to Islam. Even when there were false accusations, many of the neo-martyrs faced the consequences rather than surrendering. Saint Zacharias of Corinth was falsely accused of working with Venetians and chose to die rather than surrender. Saint John of Trebizond was falsely accused of converting to Islam by a Muslim and was sentenced to death, yet he bravely witnessed for the truth of the Orthodox faith. Unfortunately, that second choice of converting to Islam was often adopted. In the early parts of their lives, many of the neo-martyrs had been accused of a crime or had committed a crime and decided to save themselves by becoming Muslims. Later on, they repented of their choices and witnessed for their faith. 
As a young child, the neomata Luke, the assistant clerk from Adrianople, had gotten into a fight with a Muslim boy and decided to convert to Islam rather than be punished. Later, he realized the consequences of his actions and returned to orthodoxy. All of this points to the concerted efforts of the Ottoman system to drag the Orthodox Christians of the Empire away from the true faith and lead them towards Islam. However, these discriminatory practices were not just tolerated by the Ottomans, but were encouraged by officials in the Empire. The life of St. Theodore the artist from Constantinople highlights the extent of the segregation and injustice embedded in the Ottoman system. St. Theodore was born in 1774 in Neohori, a village near Constantinople. He had a pious upbringing and was attentive to the Holy Scriptures and to prayer. At a young age, Theodore became an apprentice to a Christian painter who worked in the palace of Sultan Selim. Lured by the luxuries and pleasures of this new environment, he converted to Islam. After three years of living a life of pleasure and frivolity, a deadly plague struck the entire region, which showed Theodore the vanity of the world and was the impetus for his return to his orthodox faith. Theodore fled the palace in disguise and was reconciled to the orthodox church, being anointed with holy chrism. For a while after this, Theodore resided on the island of Chios and lived under the direction of his spiritual father, St. Magarios of Corinth, renowned as the trainer of neomartyrs. Theodore's deep devotion to confession, repentance, and reading the lives of the neomartyrs like St. Bolidoros brought him to the firm decision to shed his blood for Christ as a way of fulfilling his repentance for converting to Islam. On the first week of Great Lent, Theodore dressed himself as a Muslim and entered into the court before the judge. Boldly confessing his return to orthodoxy, he ripped off his turban and threw it at his feet. The judge thought that Theodore was a fool and threw him into the prison, granting the guards and jailers permission to beat him and insult him at their will. After a second court appearance on the following day, he was put back into prison and beaten 300 times on the soles of his feet. His cell door was left open for anyone to come in and beat him. Fifteen Muslim men then entered his cell and beat him severely. St. Theodore endured the beatings without complaint and only said, I am a Christian. This made the Muslims so furious that they then tied bricks so tightly to the temples of his head that his eyes were forced from their sockets. In pain, Theodore cried for help from above. Hearing this, the Muslims then struck him on his mouth, broke his teeth, and left him half dead. While awaiting his martyrdom, another Christian who was an avid reader of the lives of the holy martyrs got himself imprisoned so as to encourage Theodore to remain steadfast and unyielding to their torments. When Theodore's death sentence was delivered, the guards tore off his fetters and beat him as they led him to his end. Having confessed Christ one last time, St. Theodore was hanged. For three days, Christians flocked to him to take pieces of his rope and soak them in his precious blood, from which many became healed from their sicknesses. To this day, St. Theodore is venerated as one of the holy protectors of the island of Mytilini and is an inspiration for other Orthodox Christians.
In the life of St. Theodore, we can clearly see that discrimination on the basis of religion was embedded in the legal system of the Ottoman Empire. The liberty to beat St. Theodore was granted by the judge, an officer of the law, who ordered that his cell door be left open. The arrest and imprisonment of St. Theodore, allowing any Muslim to come into his cell and beat him, and allowing the guards to beat him and mock him, shows a tyrannical and oppressive system of intolerance to all other religions other than Islam. Nonetheless, St. Theodore's boldness before the judge and his courage against the Turks during his countless beatings and tortures is what encourages us Christians during our struggles and times of suffering. His sacrifice for Christ reminds us of the martyrs of the first centuries of the Christian Church, and his life is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in building the faith of Christians. The lives of the neo-martyrs, like St. Theodore, give us a glimpse into the conditions of the lives of ordinary Christians under Turkish occupation. They are the historical records of that era which demonstrate that even though the Ottomans were tolerant of all religions in theory, in practice there were many instances of injustice, attempts at forced conversions, and enormous pressures to adopt the Muslim faith. One other aspect of St. Theodore's story which is reflected in the lives of many of the neo-martyrs was the way he presented himself to the Ottoman court and confessed his faith. To a modern audience, knowing the consequences of this act, it would seem suicidal. However, it should be remembered that St. Theodore, like many other neo-martyrs, had abandoned orthodoxy for Islam. By presenting himself before the court and confessing his orthodoxy, he was repudiating the earlier confession he made to convert to Islam. Often the Muslims in the empire would take the law into their own hands. We see this in the life of one of the most well-known female neo-martyrs of the Turkish occupation, Saint Philothée of Athens. Saint Philothée was born in Athens in 1522 to noble and wealthy parents, Angelos Benizelos and Sirigi Paleologina, and was given the name Revula. As a child, Revula showed a notable zeal for ascetic works and prayer. Against her will, she was married off at the age of 12 to a wealthy Athenian named Andrea Hila, who abused and mistreated her. Revula bore Andrea's ill-treatment with much patience and prayed for his change of heart. After three years, Andrea passed away and Revula was free to devote herself entirely to prayer and fasting, despite her parents' pressure for remarriage. Revula's family wealth gave her the opportunity to practice charitable work. Her love and compassion for the disadvantaged and poor population of Athens gained her much respect from the Christian community. After the death of her parents in 1549, Revula, at the age of 25, inherited a great fortune and found herself the owner of many extensive holdings, which she used exclusively for charitable work. Revula decided to continue her desire for ascetic works and entered the monastic life, being tonsured and given the name Philothée. In a vision, St. Andrew appeared to St. Philothée and told her to establish a convent for women in his honour. In 1551, she built a woman's monastery dedicated to St. Andrew the Apostle, where the nuns at this monastery took the responsibility 
for teaching young Athenian girls handiwork, weaving, housekeeping, and cooking. In this way, St. Philothée was building their faith and preparing them for their future life. St. Philothée continued her charitable mission and founded a whole range of institutions, including hospitals, hospices for the poor and the aged, various workshops, and above all, schools where the girls and boys of Athens could receive a Christian education. Philothée would regularly take risks by buying Greek Christian slaves from Turks to grant them freedom. Her establishments provided a haven for these women from the tyranny of the Ottoman Turks. She would offer shelter and protection for the young women, especially the pregnant women, and would help them escape to safety on the islands of Dia, Andros, Eyina, and Salamina. Over time, however, the expenses for her philanthropic mission, as well as the frequent plundering of her monasteries by the Turks, took a toll on the monastery's finances. In a letter to the Venetian Senate on the 22nd of February, 1583, St. Philothée asked for monetary support to pay off her debts. Through the grace of God, two men made a large donation to the monastery, which saved the community and her philanthropic projects. The Turks soon grew to hate St. Philothée and wanted to punish her for offering asylum to Christian slaves who fled from their master's houses. St. Philothée was ill and weak when her monastery was surrounded by Turks. They arrested her and placed her before the judge. The judge, knowing of her ill condition, placed her in a dark prison cell. After some time, she was called to deny Christ or to suffer death. St. Philothée used this opportunity to witness for Christ and assured the judge that martyrdom was dearest to her heart and that she would want nothing more. However, such was not the will of God, and the governor was bribed to release St. Philothée. Strengthened from this trial, St. Philothée resumed her philanthropic mission and ascetic labours with even more zeal. God blessed St. Philothée with acquiring the grace for working miracles. Many women turned away from worldly desires and set out for monastic life under the direction of St. Philothée. She had so many disciples that she had to establish a second monastery in Patisia, which had a small cave where she loved to withdraw for contemplation. St. Philothée's influence in the community aroused the hatred of the Ottoman Turks again. On the 3rd of October, 1588, she was attending an all-night vigil at her monastery for St. Dionysios the Areopagite, first archbishop of Athens. Four Turks broke into the monastery, entered the church, seized St. Philothée, and severely beat her. The 67-year-old abbess never recovered from the beating. Four months later, on the 19th of February, 1589, St. Philothée died a martyr for Christ and for her people. Within a decade of her martyrdom, Patriarch Matthew II of Constantinople canonized St. Philothée, enrolling her among the blessed and holy women of the Orthodox Church. The entire area around her central monastery in Athens was named after her, including the street where the main cathedral of Athens was built. To this day, St. Philothée is considered the patron saint of Athens, and her relics 
which are venerated at the Metropolitan Cathedral of Athens, have remained incorrupt for the glory of God and the consolation of Christian people. In the life of St. Philothée, the Muslims had a rare occasion when they were unsuccessful in attacking the saint through the legal system. Even then, she was only released because of the corruption of the judges, which incidentally showed that the judges were not motivated by their Muslim faith. Because of this, the Turks simply killed the saints themselves, comfortable in the knowledge that they would not suffer any repercussions. Saint Philothée showed the Greek people that there was an honourable and virtuous way of living in spite of their subjection to the Turks. For these reasons, she is a symbol of freedom and was an inspiration for the enslaved Greeks. The intimidation, injustice, manipulation and cruelty of the Ottomans is revealed in the lives of the Neomartyrs. Saint Theodore the artist showed us how the riches and comforts of life as a Muslim was a temptation for many young Christians. Saint Philothée's story shows us the awful conditions endured by the Greeks in these times, especially the women. Amidst their difficulties, the Neomartyrs showed through their teachings and most importantly, their examples, how to truly be free. The Ottomans knew that most people did not understand true freedom. This is how their pressures ensnared so many who abandoned their true faith for Islam. The victims of these tactics fled temporary pressures and chose to enslave themselves. This misunderstanding of true freedom can also be seen in the contemporary world. The neo-martyrs show us how to overcome these difficulties. They did not fear things that could harm the body. They showed us how to be free from life's cares and how to be free from hatred and evil while living in the world. Saint Theodore, who we discussed earlier, was only concerned to please God. Saint Philothée, despite her great fortune, was not attached to her wealth and used her money in a way that served her freedom and the freedom of others. Through the grace of the Holy Spirit, Saint Philothée, Saint Theodore, and all of the Neomartyrs show us that true freedom lies only in Christ. By following Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we can be free from passions, sin, and death. May we embrace that true freedom. hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.